Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Kubalup campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. I want to tell you a story. When we first arrived in Darwin 10 years ago, uh, the church that I, that I was at, Casuarina Baptist, said the post box is just up there. As the pastor of the church, you need to visit it twice a week and get the post uh, from the post box. Uh, and so I thought, okay, let me go there with my car the first time, because it's only about two or 300 meters from the church. Let me go there in case I needed anything else from my car to go and, uh, you know, any ID or anything like that. They gave me a key. And so I drove in the one side and parked. And uh, as I got out, this elderly gentleman said to me, mate, can't you see the sign? Have you got rocks in your head? I thought, wow, welcome to Australia. And uh, so I was shocked. I'd just come out of kind of pretty aggressive, violent Johannesburg. Uh, I was used to putting up my dukes. And so I thought, well, as a pastor, I'm going to knock him out and then pray for him. <laughs> so I went and sorted out my post, and he was still around. And I went to him afterwards, and I said, and I could see he was ready for a fight. And I went to him, I said, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm new in the country and uh, I didn't see the sign. It was actually bent the wrong way. But there was one entry and one exit in a small parking lot, probably this size. And so I apologized to him. And I thought he was going to get a heart attack on the spot because I said, I'm sorry. I thought, wow, Lord, this reminds me of the story about David and Mephibosheth. We had a couple of pints. It's hard to say it. No. <laughs> After David had killed Goliath with a stone, uh, Saul tries to kill him. And Saul throws spears at David, uh, and David avoids him, and he doesn't retaliate. And David uh, is, is gone after by, by King Saul, and he tries to kill him over and over again. And David never strikes back. One day, David dies in battle. Uh, sorry, Saul dies in battle and David becomes the king. He becomes very popular with the people, uh, becomes very famous in a strong, mighty king, and he is uh, in favor with the people around. So when you become king, it is common that you wipe out those who've gone before you that were kings or children of kings. Any family of a king that is still alive, you wipe out in case they become a threat to take over your position as a king. So people are thinking, well, it's about time. Uh, Saul, there's some of Saul's relatives that are still alive. The time is now for David to come and purge Saul's family and wipe them out in case they become some sort of threat or competition. So we take the passage from 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 13. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? 
Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. When Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of kings of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the numbers of members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Friends, this is a story of Mephibosheth and David. But I want to suggest to you this morning, it's also a story about Jesus and you and I. Because David was a king who showed kindness. He showed grace and mercy to a crippled man. And I suggest to you this morning that we were all spiritually crippled once upon a time. And this king, his name is Jesus, comes and invites us and shows us kindness and favor and says, come and dine at my table with me. So I want to share with you a few stories or two characters, the one Mephibosheth and the other one David. And some points on each of them. Mephibosheth is a picture of a spiritually broken person. A picture of a person that needs help. A person who was uh, far from God. And it's a person that was, what we read in the New Testament, an alien and a foreigner to the things of God. Point number one is that we started off in the wrong position. We were born on the wrong side of the railway track, if you like. We were born in a position of rebellion. You see, Mephibosheth was not part of King David's family. And so King David did not have to show favor. Just as you and I were born because of Adam and Eve on the wrong side, if you like, because what they did. We were born as children of wrath by nature. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word, fallen short, is stereo in the Greek, 
we were, uh, we were bad, if you like. We, have, uh, we were inferior. We were deficient. We were in the worst position, is what that means. For all have sinned and were in a terrible position with reference to the glory and the fame of God. By nature, we are born that way. I know that when Michael was a little boy, we didn't need to teach him to be naughty. He took after his mom. No. <laughs> we didn't need to teach him to be naughty. He was naughty by nature. I'm talking about my ch- child here. And I'm pretty certain it's common in all our children. My mother used to say to, or said to Michael, our boy, your father, when he was young, he was naughty. Obviously, she's lying. No. But by nature, we are rebellious. We are naughty by nature. You see, all we need to do because of the position we're born in is live and we will grow further and further away from God. That's our position. Our disposition is when Christ comes in and changes the direction we go through. When we go to Cottesloe, to the beach, we put our umbrella down. And if I'm not in the water with Michael, then I say to him, son, you need to look up every couple of minutes to see where the umbrella is. You'll see this big walrus under it called your dad. And as you look, son, you'll see that's where you need to be because by nature, the current will take you away. And five minutes later, he needs to look up and he needs to come back to his original position. You see, we are born in the wrong position. So it is by grace that we're put in the right position. We all fall short to the glory of God. The word glory is a Greek word, doxa, which means to make the name of Jesus famous. We fall short. We're deficient of making the name of Jesus famous. That's how we are born. That's how we disappoint God through the things that we do. Born in the wrong family, born in the wrong position. Secondly, we've all been crippled by a fall. This is a bit embarrassing to say, but I didn't know the details of what happened to Mephibosheth. But we read in 2 Samuel 4.4 that a word came about when, when Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle... Here is a, a young boy who's been looked after by his nursemaid. His name is Mephibosheth. She grabs him and she tries to run away. And as she runs away, she trips and she uh, falls and drops Mephibosheth as a young kid. And he is hurt in both his feet and has to walk, as a, or not walk, but he, he's on crutches for the rest of his life. He's a crippled child. Really, really sad. And folk, that is a beautiful sign, which is actually quite terrible, of our spiritual condition. That we are spiritually crippled. Spiritually crippled. We read about it in Genesis 3, where the Bible talks about Adam and Eve born in a beautiful relationship with God, but become, they, they, they turn their back on God. When God comes and, and wants to have intimacy and fellowship with them, they turn their back on God in rebellion. And since that day, we are born in this position and we are crippled by what we call the fall of humanity. And so that is our position. 
the disposition is that we come back into right relationship with God. God comes and shows us favor, but by virtue of where we're born, it cripples us, just like Mephibosheth was crippled. You and I are crippled spiritually. Thirdly, we all live in a desolate place, in a place that is not green, if you like, a place that is not fruitful. So like Mephibosheth, he lives in a place called Lo-Debar. And the word Lo in Hebrew means no, and Debar means fruitfulness or green pasture or fertile land. He lives in a place called Lodabar where it is desolate and terrible and you cannot grow anything. So Ziba comes to him under the instruction of King David and says, come, come back, uh, because the king wants to show you favor. The king wants to have fellowship with you at the table of the king. Where you have no food to eat, the king wants to put out a banquet, banquet for you and treat you as a son, one of his very own sons. Friends, that is such a beautiful picture that's uh, given to us again in Luke chapter 15 of the parable of the prodigal son, where the son insults the father with no greater insult than wishing him dead. And so the son is given his inheritance. He goes out to a desolate place and he squanders it among the prostitutes and and the loose people and wine, woman and song take over his life. And spiritually he finds himself in a desolate place, physically as well. And he comes back with his head hanging low as it were. And I'm not sure if the father could actually eat a meal thinking, without thinking about his son. The food would not go down because his son had turned his back on his father for no reason apart from rebellion. And as that son is seen from a distance, the father sees that looks like somebody I know. He walks like somebody I know. He looks like somebody I know. And the servants are nudging each other and they say, Hey, here's the boss's son. I wonder what the boss is going to do. I hope he gives him a good hiding. And the father looks again. The son is coming. And friends, he takes his robe and he wraps it under his arm and he runs toward his son. Doesn't wait for the son to come to him. He runs toward his son and he embraces him. He says, Kill the fatted calf. Give him a new robe. Put a ring on his finger. Because my son was in a desolate place, but he has come home. He's come back. Friends, that's a story for you and for me about your life and about my life. That once upon a time we were in a desolate place. Christ comes and touches us just like he touches that prodigal son. That's Mephibosheth. We were lost. We were crippled. There was good news. 
The good news is David, the picture of a loving father. Good news is that it wasn't Mephibosheth who remembered David, but it was David who remembered Mephibosheth. He calls him in, and he welcomes him back. And he tells Ziba in verse 9, I want you to go down and get Mephibosheth and bring him to me. Can you imagine what Mephibosheth would have said? Well, we read about it, and he says, uh, when he comes before in his crutches, or did they carry him in? He comes before King David, and he says, I'm just a dead dog. The English doesn't make sense. The Hebrew says, I'm like a dying, attacked, wounded dog. You see some of these pictures on TV, uh, some of the the documentaries where uh, these veterinarians go out and save a wounded dog. Those dogs are so, uh, they know that they cannot bite. They are so wounded, they're about to die. But here is the favor of a king that comes after a crippled man. King David, why have you brought me here? Are you here to embarrass me? Are you here to take my head off in front of your servants? What is it? I'm wounded. I'm crippled. I cannot defend myself. I come from a desolate place. Then we pick up the things about what David does. Firstly, we see David's pardon. David's pardon. David said, Mephibosheth, your grandfather hated my guts. He spent his whole life to try and kill me. But your father and I were good friends. We loved each other. Verse 7, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Friends, that word show there, asai, in the Hebrew means, I will make sure, I will occupy your life, I will provide your life, I will furnish your life with kindness. The Hebrew word kindness, chesed, with beauty, with favor, and with grace and mercy. The, the word uh, in the Greek, uh, I, I will show you something that you do not deserve. And friends, that's the favor of God. You know, he shows us grace and mercy. He gives us something that we don't deserve. That's called grace. God giving what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve because of our rebellion, because of our own free will, because we're we're born in the wrong position. We don't get the punishment we're supposed to if we turn to God. But instead, we get the favor of God. That's grace. And that's what King David showed God says, I don't give you what you deserve, but I give you what you need. I don't give you what you deserve. That's punishment because we've turned our backs on God. But I show you love and I give you what you need. And that's grace and mercy. David's pardon. But secondly, we have David's providence. Mephibosheth received Providence from King David, and we read in verse 10, 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. The one who was after me, who tried to kill me so many times, I will show you favor. Friends, you cannot get greater kindness than that. Somebody trying to, your grandfather tried to kill me, but you know what? I will give you back what belonged to him. Wow. That's not just showing grace and mercy and favor and kindness. That's going the, really the extra mile. Not only that will I do for you, Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table. You will be like my son. Now, friends, that's a sign of the kingdom of God. Just listen phonetically. Oops. Uh, sorry. I'll try. <laughs> the word kingdom is the Greek word vasilia. You cannot separate kingdom, king, and reign. See, in the kingdom of God, in his vasilia, the king, Vasilias, reigns, Vasilefs. Vasilia, Vasilia, Vasilefs. We get the English name Basil from that. In the kingdom of God, King Jesus reigns. And here, he was outside the kingdom because he was not part of the family of Saul. King David brings him into the kingdom and he makes him a slave? No. A son. A son of the king who reigns. That's you and that's me if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My mind cannot fathom it. It's too good to be true. I'm not part of the kingdom. I'm not part of that bloodline. I'm not part of his family. But he brings me in to his family, and he lets me sit at the table. David's people, he makes him family. He makes him family, offers him pardon, gives him providence for the rest of his life, and makes him one of the king's kids. Verse 11 says, Mephibosheth, I will want you to come, and I want you to sit at my table, and I want you to eat. And then Ziba had to go and tell, uh, command Mephibosheth to come in. And that word, uh, I want you to come, Tzavah, uh, I command you, I point you to come and eat at my table. From low Debar, desolate place, I want you to come and be part of my family. I want you to, be, to have fellowship with you. 1 John 3 verse 1, How great is the love of the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. The word lavished there, didomi, how, how wonderful, how great is the love of the Father that's been given, that's been delivered, that's been granted to us, that's been offered to us. And that word actually means we... Uh, God suffers to give it to us. It's like somebody who doesn't want love and God pushes his love onto them. You cannot be rebellious after you experience the love of God. You cannot turn against him. If that is the case, you never understood it in the first place. The love of God is so amazing, it's hard to turn away from it. 
Friends, I am, as an extrovert, I hate eating on my own. It's a bit schizophrenic because I talk to myself. So it's great when you're having a meal to have it with other people. It's called fellowship. It's, the word kinonia is a uniquely Greek word. There's no other English word or any other language word that can explain fellowship. Kinonia. It means holy communion with God and that vertical relationship in the cross, but also with one another, the horizontal. And so that's what the king wanted to have with Mephibosheth. And that's what I suggest to you our Heavenly Father wants to have with each one of his children, with you and with me. So you begin to see the picture as Ziba goes and, and brings Mephibosheth as they open those big doors. They see at the one side of the table King David at the head. Then they see the one son, Amnon, the other son, Solomon, just read his scrolls to get wise, comes in, sits down. And then Absalom comes, sits down, but there's an empty chair. Here comes somebody on crutches. And he comes, and he's assisted to take a seat, and he puts those crippled legs under the table. And he's invited as one of the sons of the king to eat of whatever he wants. From a desolate place he comes and he has whatever he wants. Friends, as you look at that table from a distance, you don't see a crippled man there. You see the king and his sons. Isn't that a beautiful picture of you and of me? He doesn't hold our crippleness against us, if you like, but he takes it away and he makes us a child to eat at the very precious table. The word kindness in the New Testament as one of the fruit of the Spirit, Christotis, it means to deposit gold in somebody else's life. Spiritually, that's what God has done for a crippled person and deposited gold into our lives. You know what? It took whatever needed to be done to do that. Let me end off by reading a story about First Lieutenant Ernest Kelvin Williams. He and 12 others in that last slide rushed the gate of the fortress in San Francisco de Macoris, Dominion Republic, on 29 November 1916. As they pushed forward, Eight men fell to rifle fire from the defenders. Williams and the remaining four pressed on. Just as the fortress door was being closed by the Dominicans, Williams threw himself against it and forced an entry. Narrowly escaping death, he and his men eliminated the guards inside and took control of the fort and its prisoners for this. First Lieutenant Williams was awarded the Medal of Honor for Bravery. Williams was part of the 1st Battalion, 4th Marines. This is an infantry battalion that has engaged in combat operations since 1916. And their motto was perfectly embodied by 1st Lieutenant Williams, whatever 
it takes. By rushing a fortress with 12 men and throwing himself into a door to gain entry, Williams did whatever it takes. The greatest embodiment of whatever it takes is Jesus Christ. For God is saving sinners, meant not sparing his own son and giving his son for you and for me. For Jesus, we hear the motto, whatever it takes, undertoned in those words in the Garden of Gethsemane where he whispered, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It took the Father whatever it takes for you and I to be able to come and sit at the table of the King. And I beg you today, do whatever it takes, wherever you are, to come and not just sit, but have fellowship and have the best that the king can give. Perhaps you're sitting, looking a little bit from the outside. And you go, well, I'm not worthy to come. Well, guess what? Mephibosheth wasn't worthy to come. I'm not worthy to come. You're not worthy to come. You're on the outside. Come in. Not only come in, but come and put your feet under the table of the king and enjoy what he has for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your favor. Thank you, Lord, that once we were far off, you came and you showed us grace and you showed us mercy and you showed us favor. Lord, we come. Lord, and we don't just sit at your table, but we take in what you have offered us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love that you so freely lavish upon us, Lord. Lord, you even suffer us to take it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for going the extra mile, Lord, and showing favor to us. Thank you, loving Father, for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.